Father, we're thankful for your mercies of today, and we need them every day. Lord, and today's been no, no exception. Um, Lord, we, we pray for your mercy for uh, Mariah and for, <clears throat> and for Bill and for Frida, that you would, Lord, as only you can, you can undertake in our bodies and our minds, and you can... You can renew us. We ask that, that you work in the lives of our dear brothers and sisters. We thank you that you never uh, leave nor forsake us. And you've proven your commitment to us by giving your Son to redeem us, Lord. Help us never forget that. Uh, we've done nothing. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no comparison between your works and ours, Lord. And so forgive us uh, when we're slow, uh, slow to trust and, and help us and forgive us. Lord, as we study your resurrection tonight, the resurrection of your Son, uh, give us clearer views of this, strengthen our own faith, and enable us to be further equipped to share this great truth with uh, those around us and in our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we are to the point of the Gospels, a glorious point of studying our Lord's resurrection, and we're using all four Gospels as we put it, uh, put it together. Um, sometimes that's called the harmony of the Gospels. You can buy books that are called that, where they kind of try to put all Scripture together, and then you just kind of read it uh, as a harmony. But basically, through all these studies, that's pretty much what we've been doing. And if you have all my notes going all the way back to the beginning, uh, you, you can basically have a harmony of the gospel from following, following through, through my notes. So we're, we're here. I got the major outline up there on the screen. We are um, studying just the events initially. We're walking through all the events relatively quickly on, for Sunday, the first day. We didn't quite get through those. We're going to finish those tonight. And then we're going to go back and talk about some of these individual passages dealing with the resurrection in a little more detail. So uh, if you have that diagram, uh, you, that would probably be good. And I think what we're going to do here is I didn't quite finish uh, setting up here. Pardon me. Um, <clears throat> is we're going to walk through that diagram as a review. I can find it. Ah, I saw it. There it is. 235. There it is. Okay. Let's make that a little bit bigger for us. And it's really not as complicated as it looks. And you don't have to be an engineer to read it. <laughs> but anything that looks overwhelmingly complicated when you look at stuff, if you just take it one piece at a time, it's amazing how, how, you, can, how, how you can get through it. <laughs> Richard. It looks, I mean, once you go engineer, it looks like a schematic. 
<laughs> it does. If you, you know, it sort of does. It, it looked like some software engineering diagrams we use also, actually, yeah, but, but it definitely uh, looks like a schematic. Well, the reason people write things down is because we can't carry it all in our head at the same time, and so we use these devices. But, so we're talking about the resurrection, which happened on Sunday, okay, on a Sunday, a day, a day after the day after the Sabbath, and there was all these activities between the city. This is the city and the tomb, and there's people going back and forth, and then there's appearances of Jesus. So I, follow me here as I review. Where where we stopped is I think on number sixteen, on page two thirty seven. We got up to number sixteen. And if you look at this diagram, see all these little red letters? Those are the paragraphs numbers 1 through 16. So if you just read this, I'm not going to do that all here tonight, but if you just read this in order with these numbers and follow the diagram, you, you know, you can't, you can't get lost. <laughs> so what do you think uh, J means? Uh, this, that's an appearance of Jesus, okay? So everywhere there's a circle with a J is where Jesus has appeared to someone on that day. Now, what about A? What do you think that means? Angel. That's, there's an appearance of angels to, to someone. So uh, that's the main, the main thing. The purple line here is Mary Magdalene. She is uh, back and forth and all over the place, and so that the purple just, when you see purple, it has to do with Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene, though I didn't put purple in the middle, but that's, what, that's the significance of the purple. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to review until we get up to like number 16, and then we'll go over to the notes. And your questions are always welcome. So very early, very early Sunday morning, uh, even before sunrise, According to John, uh, Mary Magdalene, Salome, Mary James' mother, and Joanna, these four ladies, very early Sunday morning, they had head, head for the tomb. They had bought spices the night before, and uh, Jesus was buried in haste because the Sabbath was coming. And these ladies felt the job had not been completed to, to how they wanted to honor the Lord. So they bought more spices and linens, and they're all set, and they have a plan, and they get up very early that Sunday morning, and they head off to the tomb, those four ladies. And uh, <clears throat> when they arrive at the tomb, right here, what happens is, is they notice the stone has already been rolled away from the tomb. And Mary Magdalene, as soon as she sees that the stone is rolled away from the tomb, she doesn't go in the tomb. She turns around and begins running back toward the city to tell Peter and John that they've stolen the body. Someone has stolen the Lord. Okay. So, Mary, so now she leaves. The other three ladies are left. Mary Magdalene's on her way back to the city. She's running back to the city. So these three ladies go, actually go into the tomb and they, and they encounter an angel. And we'll look tonight, 
we'll go in more detail at that interaction, but they encounter an angel. This is right at daybreak. Okay, the sun is just breaking. It's just very early in the morning. They encounter an angel. The angel tells them the Lord is risen and, and instructs them to go back to the city and tell the disciples. Now, as, as so uh, Mary Magdalene is already heading toward the city, they now begin to head toward the city also, and Jesus appears to them. Uh, as they are on the way to the city, Jesus will look at that. He, he says, rejoice. He greets them. And he gives them the same instructions that the angel gave, the others, that gave them. And that is, is, tell the disciples I'm going before them to Galilee and you will see me there. So now, while this, so now they're heading... Now, Mary Magdalene, she's ahead of them, and she finds Peter and John. Okay? So, uh, she finds Peter and John and gives this report, and Peter and John leave the city, and they are running toward the tomb. So, you've got Salome, uh, Mary James' mother, and Johanna going into the city, and you've got Peter and John leaving the city, heading for the tomb, because Mary Magdalene's made it to the city. She's located Peter and John, and now Peter and John are running toward the running toward the tomb. This is all very early that that Sunday morning. Now, when Peter and John get to the tomb. They see neither angel nor Jesus, but they go into the tomb, and we'll look at that in some more detail. They have a detailed description. They see the empty tomb, and neither angel, neither Jesus. And so they return to the city, and the text says they went to their homes. They return to the city, and they go to their homes or their own. We, we walked through the, this in awesome detail uh, last week. So they're heading back to the city. Now, Mary Magdalene, after she dispatches Peter and John, she heads back to the tomb. We know that because the first time she was at the tomb, she didn't see Jesus. And she left and told Peter and John. And we know explicitly that she does see Jesus by the tomb. So she has to have gone back. But now she's not running anymore. She is completely distraught. And she is probably walking back to the tomb. So by the time she gets there, Peter and John maybe have already come and gone. And the other, the other three ladies have gone. So Mary Magdalene, a little bit later that morning, arrives back at the tomb and she actually has an interaction with both the, an angel and Jesus. So that's her second trip to the tomb. And she gets the same instructions. <laughs> Go and tell the disciples that I am going before you to Galilee. You will see me there. So she comes back to the city now, what's happening in the city now is what I labeled as the day meeting. Uh, when we get to number 13, 
all of the all of the eleven, as well as the four ladies, as well as some other disciples, are all gathered together. That's sometime I don't know mid morning or late morning. They're all gathered together by then. So word has been spreading to the other disciples. And uh, Luke is very explicit. They're all gathered together there. And, th- and the ladies, the four ladies, tell the eleven and the others that Jesus has writ- risen and give the instructions that they were given. And the eleven and the others say, you're crazy. <laughs> That's when none of them believe the four ladies. Okay? And and we looked at that la- last week. None of them believe the four ladies, uh, and they discount their, their testimony. Now, during that meeting, and we're, we're getting this from Luke, Peter breaks out of that meeting and, and goes to the tomb. And that's one of the textually difficult things, because... Peter's already been to the tomb early in the morning. This meeting is occurring much later. And Luke says, Peter breaks out of this meeting and runs to the tomb. And so, I don't, the only way that I can see if, the only way that I can see that that works if you follow a literal reading in Luke is that Peter visited the tomb twice that morning. He visited it initially with John, and they saw nothing. Later in the day, they have this meeting, and Peter leaves that meeting, and he he makes a second trip to the tomb. And it's still empty, and this time he doesn't enter it. Luke, Luke says he looks, and he was amazed, and then he leaves. So that's, that's part of the record that's, that's uh, difficult to precisely know what's going on. So now we're, yeah, we're up to 13. So the only people at this point that have seen Jesus are the four ladies. This is mid-morning or late morning. Peter and John have seen the empty tomb. The ladies have seen both the empty tomb and Jesus. And they're all in this meeting and then sometime, maybe early afternoon, Cleopas and another disciple, they leave and they start heading for Emmaus. All right? And so they leave, they're heading for Emmaus. Now what's amazing is the ladies have told them all, Jesus says, go to Galilee and you'll see me. Now, you know, is Galilee on the way to Emmaus? Is Emmaus on the way to Galilee? Anybody? Is Emmaus on the way to Galilee? No, it is not. <laughs> okay? So none of these guys start packing their suitcases in the morning because they got to go to, Gal- go to Galilee to see Jesus. And even Cleopas and the other disciple, they, they head, off to, he, head off to Emmaus. And that's because they don't, they don't believe the testimony of the four ladies. That, that's happening, I don't know, Midday, Sunday, early afternoon, I don't know. Now, Peter leaves that group and 
sometime between that meeting and the evening, Jesus appears to Peter at an unknown location. We don't know where that is. We don't know specifically when that took place other than it's between this group meeting in the day and when we find them all gathered here in the evening. Jesus appears to Peter. Uh, that's number, number 16, which we're going to look in some more detail here. And in the meantime, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with these two guys. Okay, so, so these guys are heading to Emmaus and Jesus comes alongside and walks with them. And, and we'll look at that in more detail. We won't get that far tonight. But there, Jesus appears now. This is one, two, three times at least. Jesus appears to Cleopas and the other disciple. And it's like evening now. Because they went seven miles from Jerusalem. They didn't go all the way to Emmaus. They stop that evening at an inn. They have dinner with Jesus. And Jesus is talking to them. And then in the breaking of the bread, they finally realize this was Jesus. And they return. They start traveling back to the city. Okay, and that's a seven mile, at least seven miles. And now they're actually traveling in the dark. Okay, They went into the inn in Emmaus around sunset. They had a meal. So now they're traveling back in the dark. So now, I don't know, it's 6 or 7 p.m. or whatever. It's, it's evening time. And they're heading back in the dark. So on our notes, there are number 16. Uh, sometime after Cleopas leaves Jerusalem heading to Emmaus and before they return late evening after seeing Jesus, Jesus appears to Peter. Now, we know that for two reasons. Jesus appears to Peter, and I'm going to go over to the text now. Um, <clears throat> because down here in Luke 24:33, we're jumping ahead a little bit, uh, but here's the, uh, the, the guys on the road to Emmaus. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So when, when Cleopas, put the diagram up here, when Cleopas breaks into this meeting, they are all discussing, they, they're all finally believing that Jesus has arose. And what? That he, and he has appeared to Simon. So, Sometime from midday when they left, Jesus appeared to Simon. Uh, yeah, Jesus appeared to Peter, to Simon, and Peter's now back with the group, and they're all now beginning to believe Jesus has risen when Cleopas shows up in the middle of that of that meeting. Okay. So now where are we on our notes? We're, we're at we're at oh, and and First Corinthians fifteen. Uh, four through five, that text usually is brought in here too. And uh, it's when Paul's recounting uh, the resurrection. Uh, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 
and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Okay, that's happening on Sunday night. He's first seen by Peter, and then by the twelve that are all gathered there in Jerusalem Sunday night in that gathering that Luke relates, uh, <clears throat> which we'll look at later. All right, so... Then later, later Sunday evening, I, I'm at number 17 now on the notes there. Uh, later Sunday evening, I've already said all that, I think. Uh, so let's jump over to Luke 24. Uh, verse. No, I think we've we got to go to 18. Yeah, Sunday evening, the apostles minus Thomas, along with the other disciples, and the women are together in a room with the doors shut because of fear of the Jews. I'm on, I'm on number 18 there. By this time they are beginning to believe Jesus has risen because Peter has told them, and Jesus had appeared to Peter. And they all know that the tomb is empty and showed no signs of being robbed. So let's go over to Luke 24:33. I think we're almost there. Okay, yeah. So they rose up at that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that happened on the road, and how he was shown, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Okay. So now we're at, at Sunday evening uh, on our diagram. We're, um, we are down here at this meeting, and that's Jesus' uh, fifth, fifth appearance. And now they're all together, and this is probably about, I don't know, 9, nine, nine or 10 o'clock at night on Sunday evening. And so he appears to all, to all of them there. Uh, and number 19, we've, we've already talked about that. Um, so, yeah. So now that's, that's the best that I can uh, reconstruct it. And uh, there's a number of interactions along the way. We want to go back now and take a look at some of those in, in detail now that we got it all connected. Uh, so uh, let's begin. Let's go back now to the, the instructions that the angels gave to the three women, the three women early in the morning at the tomb. And so each of the synoptics have their own version of the instructions that the ladies received. And in Matthew's account, the women encounter one angel, and apparently still outside the tomb. We'll look at that in a moment. And the angel tells them Jesus is written and invites them to come and see the place where the Lord lay in Matthew's account. Mary Magdalene, remember, is not there. She, having seen the stone rolled away, headed back to Jerusalem. So, uh, let's do Matthew 28. We don't need a diagram anymore. Matthew 28, verse 5. 
But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, he is risen as he said. Hang on to that. Luke is going to expand on that statement. He is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. I, I kind of like that. You know, you know what that's like? That's like a prophet in the Old Testament saying, Thus saith the Lord. I've completed my mission. I'm, I'm the angel. I'm sent here. This is what I'm supposed to tell you. Behold, I've told you. It's your responsibility now. It's up to you. I, I fulfilled my part. And now you ladies need to fulfill your part and go back and, and do this. So that's, that's Matthew's uh, account. And... Uh, Jesus is following the plan that he expressed on Thursday evening, correct? At the Passover meal. Remember what he said. I have it right there in the notes. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's, that's what Jesus told them during the Passover meal. That was Thursday night. This is Sunday night. That was Thursday night. See, he's following the plan of what he told them on Thursday night, okay. and uh, there you will there okay there you will see me uh, go to Galilee. So, right now at this point in time, all they are seeing is an empty tomb. All these ladies are seeing right here. They have the angel, and what the ladies are seeing is an empty tomb. Okay. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring uh, and ran to bring word, uh, bring his disciples word. And as they went, oh, let's stop right there because we need to look at Luke and Mark for a minute as to how they relate. Luke's account uh, contains a few more details. As the ladies were greatly perplexed, not finding Jesus' body in the tomb, two men stood by them in shining gar garments. Luke 24. Uh, Luke 24. Okay, they found a stone rolled away, did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Okay, so, we think these are angels. Okay. Now, we think they're angels even though they're called men. Just, just hold on to that for a while. <laughs> but they can, angels can be called men okay, in Scripture. That's what that text shows us. Uh, why do we why do we think they're angels? Well, most men's garments aren't shining and radiating. Okay, so we they're called men, but we're pretty sure they're angels. Okay, now we're going to have to deal with another text in Mark where we're not quite sure whether we're dealing with a man or an angel. But here here we know we're we're dealing with angels here, even though they're called men, uh, they're angels and their garments are shining. So, 
right. So then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they, the angels, they said to them, and both angels are represented as speaking to them. Hold on to that piece too. They said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he, wa when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Okay? Now this is very early in the morning. See, Luke gives us more detail than Matthew did. This is the same encounter that we looked at in Matthew. So there's a few other things to note here. Um, so, uh, okay. Yeah, the angels appear to have some wit. And they ask the ladies, why do you seek the living among the dead? <laughs> you know, that's surely not a smart thing to do. <laughs> I, I I I don't know if it's a gentle rebuke or what, but but that question is, you know, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's like crazy, right? You know, you don't go to a graveyard trying to seek someone who's alive. So you can think about that. I I think I think there's some wit there. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Uh, and then the angels uh, con continue. He is not here, but is risen. Now, Luke expands on Matthew, he is risen as he said. Luke fills that out, doesn't it? Remember, and the angels say here, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying. Now, the angels here, this is not speaking on the evening of the Passover, this is Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee. So this was one of those times where Jesus predicted his death and resurrection ahead of time. And we know he did that about five times. And on some of those occasions, Jesus was in Galilee when he made that prediction that he would be mistreated and on the third day he would rise. And so the angels are telling, are, are telling these, these ladies have been with Jesus since Galilee. These are very faithful women. And they've been with Jesus almost from the beginning. And so the angel, the angels is refreshing their minds. Remember what Jesus told you when he was still in Galilee? Uh, and, and it was one of the predictions of, of his, of his suffering that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And, and then I like this statement. And they remembered his words. They remembered Jesus' words. That could have been one or two years ago, okay, when, 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 when they had that interaction. But the ladies remembered Jesus' words. And just, you know, we're always talking about the doctrine of Scripture in our studies. It's interesting how Luke relates this. And, and, and Luke is the only one that relates the women's response to that information. The, he, Luke's the only one 
who relates the women's response to, to, to that information. Remember when he was in Galilee, he told you these things. And the women, Luke says, and they remembered Jesus' words. And the point I'm, I'm kind of making here is Luke was not a witness of any of this. And Luke is interviewing the witnesses. That's how Luke is writing his gospel. And so I, I love that, and they remembered his words, because Luke interviewed them. Luke talked to these ladies, and these ladies described to him their, their seeing Jesus and all that, and these ladies described how it hit them. They remembered his words. And so uh, that's just... How do you say it? The scriptures are real history. And Luke is a real historian, and he's telling us what these ladies said, how these ladies related it. And these ladies said, yeah, when the angel told us, wow, we remember what Jesus had said two years ago. That's probably how they said it, with that much emotion, when they were recounting the experience. When, you know, we say, Boy, a light went off in my head, right? We say that. And so Luke, uh, I, I, Luke includes that, that the women remembered his words. So, okay, so, all right, so now we, we looked at, we looked at, did you have your hand up? Now, considering Matthew, I had an idea in my head. Couldn't there have been three angels? There could have been. (laughs) One of them was sitting on the tomb, and two others were in the tomb. And when I read what the first uh, one sitting on the stone said, it was was a bit different than what the angel said. And I was thinking that uh, when when Matthew and Luke write two different things, Completely different things that they, one person's supposed to be say, saying. They, they wouldn't be yeah. completely different, but they but, might be yeah. a little bit different. But no, that's a that's a good point. Maybe there's three angels: the one that yeah. rolled away the stone, and the other two that that are there later. And you know, maybe the the one that rolled away the stone, he didn't hang around anymore. His job's done, and he's out of there. And the other two are in the tomb greeting the ladies. There de- definitely could have been three. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, now Mark. Uh, Mark has very brief account, and uh, we'll pull that up here. In um, We're still at this first encounter of the angels with the ladies at the empty tomb. Uh, but when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, and Peter... Okay, so we have this little addition now that the instruction here, at least from this person, angels are persons, right? 
I can use that term. <laughs> the instruction of this person uh, includes that little grammatical break there. I, I like those lines. Uh, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as, as he said to you. So that's um, kind of like the other angel that said that, as he said to you. So um, this is Mark's, Mark's account of that first encounter with the angel. So there's a few things to say here. I'll clear this all up for you completely. <laughs> no, I won't. So Mark's account of the women's early morning encounter with the empty tomb presents to us a somewhat mysterious figure. And entering the tomb, they saw this young man clothed in a long white robe sitting at the right side. Okay, what, why do we need that detail? Why do we need to know? I don't know the answer to that, all right? <laughs> so, now we could allegorize, oh boy, we can really go. The, 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 the early church fathers that did their allegorizing, they, this, they, this, this thing has legs, man. <laughs> this thing can really go. But we're not going to do that right now. But I'm going to give you an example of that, about Peter and John running to the tomb and John outruns Peter as to what the significance of that is. When we, we're not going to get to that tonight, Lord willing, next week. But I'll give you some allegorical interpretations just, just so you can see uh, what allegory in the early centuries looked like. Um, and I'm not slamming our church fathers. Please don't, don't dismiss those men, okay? You know, it's, it's like I said Sunday, the, the reality of things to them is just... You know, it's just amazing. Okay, but they're not necessarily the best examples always of how to do exegesis. Okay, so we have our strengths and and weaknesses. So sorry, that's a big sidetrack. Um, so this figure is somewhat mysterious, um, and he, yeah, oh yeah, the right side. He's sitting on the right side. Uh, that kind of detail. One thing we can say about that, that kind of detail is like an eyewitness report. You know, there may be no other significance to that other than that is like a photographic memory, okay? Either of Mark or, or the witness to Mark, that's like a photographic memory. I stepped in there and this is what I saw. The angel was sitting on the right side. And likely that is the most, I should have written that in my notes, but that's probably a significant thing to do with that. I mean, that's not, I don't know, I'm not an author, but that really smacks of a, a witness's recounting what they saw at the scene. So, um, now there's only one angel, at least, there could be more there, and Mark's only reporting the one. Uh, so is this man one of the two angels that Luke and even John refers to? Well, that surely could be the case. And the angels in Luke's account are referred to as two men. I've already emphasized that to you. They're referred to as two men. 
who stood by them in shining garments. Now, our angel or our person in here in Mark, uh, we're not to- Mark doesn't tell us he has shining garments. That doesn't mean he doesn't have them. But, you know, Mark doesn't tell us this individual has shining garments. Now, some have conjectured that this young man, now that's different. None of the other accounts say young man. Only Mark says young man. Not that an angel cannot appear as a young man. (laughs) We should not restrict that. But Mark says this is a young man. He's the only one that says that. Uh, So some have conjectured that this young man should be related to Mark's earlier reference to a certain young man having followed Jesus, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And that happened during the arrest Thursday night in Mark chapter uh, 1451. Oh, it's not here. I'll, I'll, I'll go to it. Now this is during the arrest. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and so forth. That the the these two references to a young man. This one in this one in the tomb, and this one who fled. Here, um, quite a few people think that the young man here in Mark 14 that that this is Mark is including himself in the record, and that this was his experience on that evening uh, when everybody was fleeing. And why was he outdoors with just a robe? You know, how do you explain that? You know, that's hard to explain. Or you never know. I mean, one explanation that's given about that is Mark got word that they were going, arresting Jesus and he just, he blasted out of the house and he grabbed whatever he had and wrapped himself in it and went to be with Jesus because he found out that they were going to arrest him and that's how he ended up outside with just a robe. <laughs> so, but the phrase young man makes us, do we connect the two or not? And um, let's see. And possibly it was Mark at the tomb then who greeted the women. Well, has Mark inserted himself into the narrative in these two places? I don't know. But making that work, with the other accounts, making it work that Mark was there in the tomb and talked to the women, and that the two angels were there in the room, in the tomb, and talked to the woman. You know, I, I can't think, I can't figure out any way to make that work. So uh, maybe that's just Mark's relating of of the of the of the angel. 
John only refers, no, Mark refers to one angel, if this is an angel, and um, Matthew refers to one angel. Luke and John refer to two angels. But that, that's, not, that's, not a, that's not really a problem. They don't always even report all the people in the given scene. So that, that's not a problem. So, um, so that's the best I can do about, uh, about that. And it's interesting, this young man uh, in the tomb that's dressed in white, he gives same instructions as the angels gave, gave the women. They all get the same instructions. So, now, well, it should be said somewhere, why did the angel remove the stone? Not to let Jesus out. Because we know that Jesus, when we read the rest of the account, of course, they're all in the room Sunday night, and the doors are locked, (laughs) and Jesus appears in their midst. So, you know, I think we can safely extrapolate that if he could do that Sunday night, he certainly could get out of that tomb without the stone being rolled away. So why, why is the stone rolled away? It's to show the rest of us the tomb is empty. And oh, by, by the way, about the young man um, uh, dressed in white, and Fred, you'll probably know this, there's a famous book uh, called Who Moved the Stone? And it's by, uh, what is his name? Morrison, I think. It's a famous apologetic book about the resurrection. It was written, I think, was it written around the time of C.S. Lewis? I think sometime. Oh, yeah, it's, if it, it's not very long. And it's, it's an apologetic for the resurrection. And, I, and he... The, Morrison, I think, really implies that this is Mark. Okay? And, it's, and, it's, and he's really a good writer, and it's kind of written like a novel, but it's not a novel. And, and the different characters, like Pilate and Pilate's wife and Mark, and, it, and, it's, and, and Morrison himself was an unbeliever, and I think maybe a lawyer and maybe was converted under the influence of C.S. Lewis. I, I don't know if there's a connection, but the, it's a famous book, and it's called Who Moved the Stone is the title. And uh, if you haven't read that, it, it's, a, it's a good read from a, a, a number of perspectives. Um, now, Morrison himself, um, I see we, ha- we have an online question. Morrison himself was not a conservative biblically, okay? He didn't have a, uh, an inerrancy view of Scripture, but it remi- this passage reminds me of that. Alexis. Marlowe said, Manuel asks, why are the women coming early to a tomb closed with a stone? How could they expect to enter? Well, they didn't, and they even had a discussion of that on their way. Yeah, they they were aware of that problem and they were wondering. So they they were probably hoping that they would find maybe some other people to help them. Or soldiers. Um, what's that? Or the soldiers. Well, the soldiers would have prevented them from opening the tomb. <laughs> so so um, no, they yeah, the text is it actually is in Mark um 
Yeah, it's in Mark 16. They're discussing that. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So I think what's neat here is they launched out on their mission, and uh, that, that was really focused in their mind. They want to honor the Lord, and um, they're going to figure it out as they go. Now, how many of us have launched into situations where we don't have it all figured out. But we know we're going to do that. And, and, we, and we just, we launch and we go. And so that's about, that's about the, best, uh, the best that I can do on that. Okay. Um, oh, wow. You know... Uh, Let's keep going. There's something else that I'm going to say here later that relates to the question that, that Manuel just asked. I think it relates to that question. And I don't know if I'm going to get to it or not, but if not, I'll connect it next week. So the next thing on our, our list here is uh, the women encounter Jesus, Matthew 28, 9 through 10, uh, on, his, on his way and as they went, now you remember on our diagram, we're still, uh, you know, where are we? We're right here now on our diagram. Right? It's still very early in the morning, uh, and they're on their way back. So that, that, that's where we are. And so, and, uh, and as they went to his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Uh, then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Okay. So, it's early. I've already said that. Uh, my brethren refers to the eleven apostles and, the, and other of Jesus' disciples. Go and tell my brethren. is isn't just the eleven. It's the other disciples as well, which which would include the names that we know, Cleopas, J Joseph of Arimathea, maybe Nicodemus. Uh, we know Matthias and Justice were there from Acts chapter 1, uh, those men that they were going to select to be an apostle. Matthias and Justice were there uh, from the very beginning, so they would have been there, and surely others, men and women. And, and that's what we find by Sunday evening. We find them all gathered together there, and uh, <clears throat> we learn later there was about 120 of them. Um, so, though few commentaries express that plan A was for the disciples to go to Galilee and there see Jesus, but they did not do that. And as we will see, the women gave instructions, but they refused them. They refused to believe. And obviously, they didn't excitedly begin making plans to return to Galilee, right? They didn't do that. Um, so this must still be fairly early in the morning. This encounter of Jesus and these women is fairly early in the morning. 
and they get back to the city, so they're bringing their reports into the city no later than mid-morning, probably even earlier than that. Uh, and so let's see. But, and, and, and Cleopas goes off to Emmaus, so it seems to me like Jesus executes plan B, and he rounds him up. And he rounds up Peter, <laughs> he appears to Peter, and he goes on the road, road to Emmaus, and he rounds up those guys, and the rest of them are still in Jerusalem. And so, but I thought I was going to find a significant discussion about that in some significant commentaries that I've read. And so I'm just telling you, when I tell you guys something, when I can't find someone else in 2,000 years of church history that has said it, I just warn you <laughs> that, that I couldn't find my, my trusted, none of my trusted common, commentators seem to want to actually say that. That the original plan really was for them to go to, go to Galilee and that Jesus was going to be on his way to Galilee and they were all to meet up there in Galilee. Now that does happen later. Later after Sunday, they do all end up in Galilee and we're going to see that. But it sounds like to me, Jesus' plan was for them initially to initially all end up in Galilee and because of their unbelief, that did not happen. It, doesn't that seem so clear from these passages? So, but I couldn't find anybody who wanted to actually come out and say that. So here I am. Okay, Maybe I'm making a fool of myself, and there's some obvious reason why we shouldn't obviously take these things at face value. So, so there I've warned you. Okay, so I got through that. Um... We have enough time, I think. Um, okay. Uh, ah, I do have enough time to do this. Okay. We'll, we'll end with this. We'll go a few minutes over. Now, <clears throat> that the Gospels refer to the women as the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection is a strong testimony that the Gospels are not contrived. And the reason it is, is no women in Jerusalem would ever be considered credible witnesses in a court of law or in any kind of dispute. And if somebody is writing a fake account, they would never have the women being the first witnesses. We can multiply historical uh, defense of what I'm saying. Women were not considered reliable witnesses. And all four Gospels, <laughs> four separate historical source documents, all have the women as the first witnesses. Okay? This is not a contrived account. Let me quote. I was just going to quote, but I had to throw some of my own in there. I'm going to quote from J.R. Edwards, and it's in your notes. Quote, The names of only women witnesses at an event as, as momentous as the resurrection is wholly remarkable. 
Jewish opinion of women, especially in religious matters, was not always positive. Now, that's an understatement, okay? There's a, what's the grammatical name for one of those? That, that when, you, when you emphasize the positive by, I don't know. Uh, Jewish opinion of women, especially in religious matters, was not always positive. No, it was very negative, <laughs> okay? It was not always positive. In Mark and Matthew... The women are the sole witnesses of the empty tomb, whereas Luke and John include the witness of Peter and the other disciples, although neither of the latter is yet believing a believing witness. The presence of names of women who followed Jesus from Galilee attests to the early dating of their testimony and also argues in favor of the veracity of the resurrection narrative. For the fabrication of resurrection testimony involving women in all four Gospels' exclamation would be incredible. What does incredible mean? He's using it in the true sense. Not believable. (laughs) Okay? For the fabrication... Uh, Let me get it here. For the fabrication of resurrection testimony involving women in all four Gospels would be incredible. Some two centuries after the Gospels were written, the pagan philosopher Celsus could still needle Oregon that the Christian doctrine of the resurrection was based on the testimony of half-frantic self-deceived women. Okay. So, uh, regarding, that's the end of the quote, regarding the women's witness being discarded, had the witness been brought by men, would the disciples have acted differently? Interesting question to think about. It's hard to know for certain, but Here's how I come down to that question. I say likely not. And here's why I say likely not. Not to try to defend them that they're not male chauvinists in this area. Okay. But here's why I say likely not. Because how much like Thomas were they all? Now, Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas refused to believe even the male witnesses. So that's the first question mark in my mind. How much like Thomas were all of them refusing to believe without seeing? After all, when the women brought the report to the men, the men had seen neither angel nor Jesus. Right? That day meeting, that day meeting, the four ladies brought their testimony, told them to go to Galilee. At that point in time, the men had neither seen an angel or Jesus. So that's why I think they wouldn't have believed a male either. 
See, we have to keep that in mind. It was the witness of the four ladies. And they had seen both the angels and Jesus. Okay. Yes. That's the part I wanted to I wanted to get in. Uh, the mic's not on. There's a button there. You got to push it till the green light comes on. You got to hold it till the green light comes on. Now, is there a reason? Is it still the same way that the women are not believable? I mean, that's such a no. I, no. I think that's 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 the cultural thing at the time. It's a sinful thing. Sinful. You know, we as humans always make distinctions that God would not make. No. And 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 say uh, it again. I didn't understand. We as it, we as humans are great at making distinctions that God hasn't made, such and that exalts us one another above another. And men have a tendency to be little women, and and uh, that's awful. I'm absolutely, <laughs> and women have a tendency to be little men. Right? You Neanderthal were... Oh, see, there you go. I'm not smarter than men. Well, it goes, it goes to uh, the, how do you put it, uh, Greek notion uh, that men are rational and hysteria. You know, women okay. are hysterics. Right, so, right. It, you know, something right, like well, this anyways, might present that. Yeah, so... so the emphasis of our study here is about the resurrection, okay? So this passage brings those things up. But if you have comments or questions as we're working through the resurrection narratives here, um, and that's fine to discuss that, but... but um, God has made us... See, I'm telling you not to talk, and now I'm going to talk. God has made us different... Okay, and our sinfulness has made that a source of disrespect and conflict, and and so so. It, anyway, so okay, but about the resurrection narratives here and and the encounters with Jesus. Any comments or comments or questions, uh, Fred? Well, ahead to what? Give him the microphone so our, 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 our online, people, our online people can hear the discussion. Could you show your diagram again? Sure. I was trying to digest that and think about some things. Yeah. So, he's speechless. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't know how to say it. So, okay. I, I suspect, let me put it that way that the day meeting was not like one meeting. I suspect that that day meeting was like 15 or 20 meetings. Really? And, and that Peter only went once to the tomb and looked at the clothes. Just want to throw that out there. Wow. Because when you look at that day meeting in Luke, it doesn't say they were all together. In the night, it does. In the night meeting, they're all together. But in the day okay. meeting, and it says they, t they, they talked to not only those guys, but also maybe those other 120. Yeah. Because it says, and all the others, not yeah. just the 11 in the day meeting. Yeah. 
you know, if that's the case, maybe we could solve some other problems. I mean, well, I just think, I think because in both cases, Peter goes to the tomb and he looks at the linen or the clothes or whatever the language is. And in, in both of the accounts, you know, the only thing that's different is when Peter goes in Luke, he goes, they don't mention John going with him. Yeah. But that could just be like yeah. the angels. They yeah. just don't mention it. Well, a lot of commentators say Luke and John are describing the same event. They, they, don't, they don't posit the two trips. That's, so, what, I, that's what I think. Yeah, they, that, they're saying that. And, and let's, let's look at that Luke passage. Um, and uh, Okay, so where does that start in Luke? Uh, yeah, so uh, so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who are with them gathered together. That's verse 33. That sounds like one meeting. Oh, I am in a night meeting. Excuse me. The day meeting's up around okay. nine. Yeah. Uh, let, yeah, let's just read that. Yeah, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, and he lists them there. Okay, it was Mary Magdalene, Jeho- uh Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other and the other women with them. So we've got all the women who told these things to the apostles. And and their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linens and stuff. Okay. So you know, if anybody was going to write like that, it would be Luke. <laughs> so, I, 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 I haven't come across that. So, yeah. The, the other thing, too, is in John, see, he also looks at the clothes. Yeah. And then at the end of that passage, it says, and the disciples, meaning Peter and yeah. John, return to their homes, plural. Yeah, now like they, that they weren't they weren't all necessarily together early in the morning. I don't think that's a plural. Oh, it wasn't in, in the New King James. It is. I just read it. Yeah, in verse ten, then the disciples went away again to their homes. Yeah, give me the full reference so I can pull it up. John twenty verse ten. All right, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm taking you way late here. I'm sorry. John twenty verse ten. Okay, yeah, that's that. Okay, that's a plural. There, there's something else going on there. Uh, yeah, that could be translated. Um, they went to their own. Uh, uh, we have to look at the Greek text there. This really might not mean they went to their homes. It might mean they went to their own community and their own people. So there's really a discussion. Did they go back to their personal homes 
as opposed they return to their community of believers. So that that's that's all. But but if if what you're saying about Luke is true, that could resolve apparent conflicts in their accounts. And that's not original Luke. No. Okay. Okay. But um, yeah, and then like I said, if if anyone would put an account, put it together like that, it would be Luke. Because if you study the Gospel of Luke closely, that's what he does. He he doesn't care that much about chronology. In a, in at the beginning of the Gospel, he follows Mark, and at the end of the Gospel, he follows Mark. But in the big center, he goes off on his own. And he pulls material together topically, and and he and that's that's how he writes, and that's not a slam against inerrancy or anything of that nature. That's just a human element of scripture. There's a human element in scripture that isn't suppressed, and there's a divine element in scripture. Both both elements are there, and and. Uh, so you can't put Luke into the straitjacket of a Matthew. Luke and Matthew are not going to write their accounts the same. And, and uh, the fact that we got four separate accounts, if they went together by hand and glove, what do you think would happen if you went into court? And, 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 and I got five witnesses on my side, and everyone got up there, and they paired up all exactly the same thing. You think that would get... You think, I think you would suspect all of those witnesses. So, anyways, I I love to talk about the doctrine of Scripture. So we've kind of we've kind of slid off into that, but that's part of the study. All right, it's eight fifteen. Uh, uh, we have to stop. None of you have little babies at home, right? That's why. Oh, what's that? Uh, you get up at four. I'm sorry. It's Fred's fault. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful uh, how you work and how you use your people and uh, how you've established <coughs> the credibility of, of uh, your son and uh, the witnesses that you have provided. And we thank you for one another. We pray that, that you would strengthen our faith and help us understand these things better. Lord, um, give us uh, patience. And uh, we thank you that you seek us when we don't seek you. And we commit ourselves to you, Lord. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.